Welcome to the ACCP Resident and Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. My name is Shreya and I'm a PGY1 at Albany Medical Center. Today, I am joined by Faisal Minhaj, a toxicology fellow at the University of Maryland, and Caitlin Landoff, a PGY2 in critical care at the University of Maryland. And today, we're going to be talking about ECMO and its implications in toxicology. So first, what is ECMO and why do we use it? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for having us on today. ECMO, um, or extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, is a type of extracorporeal life support used to improve gas exchange in patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. And the use of ECMO in the adult population has tremendously increased over the past two decades, with a nearly 16-fold increase in ECMO runs in adults um, from 2006 to 2016, and has continued to increase since then. An ECMO circuit is comprised of a cannula removing blood from the body that's then run through a pump, a membrane oxygenator, and a heat exchanger that then returns oxygenated blood via a cannula back to the patient. And with ECMO, we have different modes that can be used, uh, whether we're trying to achieve cardiac or respiratory support. So what are the different modes of ECMO and when do we use them? That's a great question. Uh, there are basically two main modes of ECMO. These are venovenous, VV, and venoarterial, VA. VV ECMO is used to improve gas exchange in respiratory failure. In VV ECMO, the cannulation sites are commonly the femoral vein and the right internal jugular, whereas in VA ECMO, the femoral artery and femoral vein are commonly used for cannulation sites. Um, and indications for VV ECMO really include acute respiratory distress syndrome as a bridge to lung transplant, smoke inhalation, and status asthmaticus. VA ECMO is used to improve circulation and gas exchange in cardiac failure and cardiopulmonary failure. Specifically with VA ECMO, uh, we can use this in patients with cardiogenic shock after myocardial infarction, cardiac arrest, myocarditis, pulmonary embolism, pulmonary hypertension, and cardiac transplant primary graft failure. And for toxicologic indications, VA ECMO has been studied and used in patients presenting with cardiogenic shock and life-threatening arrhythmias. And this is what FASL will talk about in more detail. So as pharmacists, we obviously care the most about drugs. How does ECMO impact drug pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics? Yeah, this is a really important question, especially as pharmacists, for us to consider. Most of what we know about the impact of ECMO on medication pharmacokinetics and dynamics is extrapolated from pediatric data and ex vivo data. The evidence for the effect of ECMO on specific drugs is scarce, so for each drug, we don't have a lot of information. Critically ill patients may already have altered serum protein binding and an organ dysfunction as well, potentially leading to increased plasma concentrations. Decreased plasma concentrations of medications may occur as a result of also systemic inflammation and increased total body water, which can contribute to the increased volume of distribution of medications. In addition to the changes in drug PK and PD as a result of critical illness, there are also changes with the ECMO circuit. And one of these major changes is drug sequestration. Drug sequestration may occur in the ECMO circuit tubing and the membrane oxygenator, leading to decreased plasma levels of these agents as the drugs can get caught or stuck in these components of the circuit. Drug-specific factors impacting drug sequestration are medication lipophilicity and protein binding. Agents that are more lipophilic and highly protein-bound have a higher propensity for sequestration in the circuit. So for instance, fentanyl, a highly lipophilic and highly protein-bound agent, is more likely to be sequestered in the circuit compared to morphine, which is more hydrophilic and less protein-bound. Several studies have tested the concentration of medications after running through simulated ECMO circuits, and they found that agents with higher lipophilicity and protein-binding have 
decreased percentage of drug recovery after going through the circuit. And although drug-specific factors may help predict the effect of ECMO and pharmacokinetics of many agents, of course, some agents still have unpredictable drug concentrations after going through the circuit. For instance, Meta and colleagues found that the concentration of ampicillin, which is fairly hydrophilic, with moderate protein binding, had still had variable 15 to 71% loss after running through the circuit. For agents that can be titrated to effect like sedation and analgesia or monitored with therapeutic drug monitoring, clinicians can see or monitor the effect of these agents, which isn't a big deal. However, agents that we cannot as closely monitor pose a challenge. Not only may serum drug concentrations in these patients be less than anticipated, there might also be unpredictable and extended distribution and redistribution of medications as a circuit may act as a reservoir of these sequestered medications. And another pharmacokinetic change due to ECMO is increased volume of distribution as the circuit itself acts as an additional compartment. Patients receiving ECMO also require large amounts of volume to maintain adequate flow, potentially increasing the volume of distribution of hydrophilic agents. And lastly, the circuit may alter PK by altering drug clearance with varying effects based on concomitant organ failure and medication use. That was really interesting. Thank you so much. So... Can ECMO be used to increase drug elimination of drugs and toxins? Yeah, so thank you, Caitlin, for that great discussion on the PK and PD of ECMO, especially with its considerations to drug sequestration and removal. I cannot speak about any uh, extracorporeal therapy without mentioning the XTRIP workgroup, which is a consortium of medical toxicologists, clinical toxicologists, pharmacists, nephrologists, pediatricians, emergency medicine, critical care, and a variety of disciplines that come together to create comprehensive reviews on the extracorporeal removal of toxins. And their reviews and recommendations are available freely and as uh, open access publications, which is really nice and helpful to a lot of us. Um, So now that I have that out of the way, I want to start by saying that I'm in a particularly gifted training area. My medical director, Dr. King, happens to be one of uh, the only one in the U.S. and one of two in the world nephrologist toxicologists, and his research actually focuses on the extracorporeal removal of substances, and I've been learning a lot from him. As Caitlin pointed out, there are various modes of ECMO in different settings. One of the settings I want to focus on with ECMO um, is the flow rate. One of the biggest problems that we have with traditional extracorporeal removal, that being intermittent hemodialysis or continuous renal replacement therapy, are flow rates and the filters that we are limited to. If a substance that is causing toxicity, then it's prudent to eliminate it as fast as possible. We know that CRT elimination rates are abysmal in comparison to intermittent hemodialysis. And intermittent hemodialysis is always the preferred form of removal, even if vasopressors are required. With that said, in an ECMO circuit, the flow rate of blood is so much greater than that we're even able to achieve in uh, intermittent hemodialysis, up to two to three liters per minute. And with these higher flow rates, we could potentially pull substances that we were previously unable to. Um, Recently at the American College of Medical Toxicology annual meeting a couple months ago, Dr. King actually discussed his research in this area, where he used flecainidin in vitro model, um, which is a substance that we know has a really large volume of distribution, has an antiarrhythmic, and has not a lot of great therapeutic options in overdose and treatment. With that in vitro model, he was able to pull this drug, which has that large volume of distribution, and other substances from circulation with these really high flow rates and even uh, more improved filters. with ECMO than you would be able to by traditional hemodialysis. Um, And he's continuing to pursue research in this area to take better care of these patients. But unfortunately, this is still bench research. It's not something that has come uh, into fruition as far as clinical practice, but maybe in the future at some point in our careers, we'll be able to see this. 
So with that said, when do you consider a patient with an acute overdose a candidate for ECMO? That's a great question. Um, because we are increasing our uses of ECMO, as Caitlin already discussed, and especially for toxicologic indication. When glancing at the Extracorporeal Life Support Organization, or ELSO, guidelines, we see that some of our tox patients fit the criteria pretty well. They generally have a reversible cause of severe toxicity, which is primarily cardiac in nature, and they have relatively limited contraindications. They're generally younger patients that don't have a lot of comorbidities. And recently, there was a paper that was published that looked at the ELSO registry of patients that receive VA ECMO for drug-induced cardiogenic shock. And they found that the cardiovascular drugs were the most common agents involved, and patients that were cannulated had a median duration of ECMO of only about 68 hours. ECMO improved their hemodynamics and led to a survival to hospital discharge of around 50%. Um, this is much greater in patients that would have otherwise have 100% mortality. Another report suggested better survival of even up to 70% using poison center data, um, with the caveat that modalities of ECMO are not really defined in the National Poison Center database. That all being said, I think what all of this displays more so than anything is that ECMO is a viable salvage therapy for poisoning. Drugs that usually come to mind for ECMO are any cardiotoxic substance, typically calcium channel blockers and beta blockers, along with antidysrhythmics but also drugs that have cardiotoxic effects like bupropion or other antidepressants, drugs that we really have no other good therapy for. These agents are notorious for causing severe toxicity that can be refractory to traditional therapies. And outside of cardiotoxic agents, we do see VV ECMO used for pulmonary toxins that often have better outcomes, which may have been responsible for that higher survival rate in that second study I mentioned. As Caitlin also uh, alluded to, ECMO has been used for decades in the pediatric population, and it has been used in uh, the pediatric population for hydrocarbon ingestions. These patients may develop severe ARDS from hydrocarbon pneumonitis requiring VV ECMO, but the rates of mortality are thankfully much lower. So what do you guys think the future uses of ECMO will be? I think I speak for the both of us when ECMO use is only going to increase with time and training of providers. In my world of toxicology, I think with recent studies showing the limited utility of intravenous lipid emulsion, another rescue therapy that we has kind of fallen out of favor, many have transitioned to ECMO or intraortic balloon pumps in our sickest of patients. That being said, I have the inside scoop in what Dr. King has been working on, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have extracorporeal removal of drugs that with large volumes of distribution that have limited treatment options like flecainide or colchicine with ECMO in the future. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us, both Caitlin and Fasol. I really appreciate it. This is clearly a really interesting topic that can have a lot of pharmacy involvement as well. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the ACCP Resident and Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. For more episodes and other resident and fellow resources, visit our website at www.accp.com slash ResFell. Thank you for listening to an ACCP podcast for residents by residents. Our theme music is titled Jupiter's Smile by the 126ers and is provided through YouTube's free audio library. Please subscribe to the ACCP podcast to be notified of new episodes.